Hold the Line with Mike Solon is brought to you by the Seattle Police Officers Guild, Seattle's public safety voice. All right, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. You know, I decided to expand the Cho Show, which we were going to release last week, but then something came up that I've been working on for a while, and that was aligning King County labor groups together as one. And we were going to do a press conference revolving our plan due to the catastrophe we find ourselves in. And um, we had to put the Cho Show, uh, I think, edit and podcast we were going to release on hold. But I think it's so uh, apt to bring Jonathan back in, which means the Cho Show is back in the house. We're going to add it to our initial taping, which was little bit of uh, two weeks ago, and uh, expand on the press conference that we did. So stay tuned. We'll get right back to you. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish. Not a fight. Hold the Hey, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solence. Jonathan Cho is in studio. He's going to uh, participate in part two of our first edit that we did about two weeks ago because uh, I had to delay the release of the podcast initially because we were working on a significant um, issue involving public safety, and that's obviously the crime. And uh, we held a press conference, had a partnership with three or two other great labor groups, public safety related, and uh, we needed to have Jonathan's input there. And Jonathan was part of the media contingent. You can check out our press release in the description. And uh, it's also up on uh, Facebook when we did it live. So Jonathan, welcome back to the studio, man. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Mike. So we had that press conference. Um, you know, I'll just read real quick, and I know we'll have the link of the press conference in the description. But, but we teased it with, to, to uh, the media groups to, to entice them to get there, and I think it worked really well. Um, and it reads as follows. It's very brief. The Seattle Police Officers Guild, King County Police Officers Guild, and the King County Corrections Guild will be addressing the public safety crisis that is engulfing Seattle and King County. Representing over 2,000 public safety officers, they will lay out a direct course of action that will lead to a significantly safer Seattle and King County region. That's absolutely what happened. And uh, we then, when we introduced our coalition, which is historic, never happened before within King County of the labor, public safety labor unions working together collaboratively to try to address a significant issue on behalf of the people that we humbly serve. Uh, we also rolled out a candidate for King County prosecuting, prosecuting attorney, and that's Jim Farrell, the current mayor of Federal Way. And so I'd say we have it about, we had about, 12 to 15 reporters and maybe a dozen cameras. And then you showed up as well. Uh, you're one of the r- still remaining hard-hitting journalists here that actually do the job of journalism. Alternative independent media now. Alter- no. oh, that's the PC term, Jonathan. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. So, I, you know, look, I think it was a hit. Uh, the press conference went flawlessly. And um, we'll have a link in the description. We'll cut in some edits of that. But I'm curious as to get your take on the press conference itself from not just a, a person in alternative media that you're describing, but um, just your history of journalism and just Seattle in general. How did you think the press conference went? And why aren't we seeing more press conferences from our elected officials regarding public safety? 
Well, well, to answer that question, I think, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of public officials here in Seattle who don't want to be held accountable uh, because when you can hide behind your keyboard or, uh, you know, a video uh, Zoom, um, you know, you can't face the reporter or the journalist uh, who wants to ask you the follow-up question, maybe to a failed policy or something that, quite frankly, that's just not working. Um, so that's the short uh, answer to that question. But overall, uh, look, I thought it was a really uh, powerful showing. And like you said, I think that press release it really got, I think, a lot of folks in the media's attention because right out of the gate, crime, public safety, arguably one of the top three issues among voters here in Seattle and King County. And right away from uh, the media's vantage point, uh, we want to know what are the solutions going to be? Who's going to speak up? More importantly, who's going to lead? Who's going to take the initiative to address this head on and to see that coalition of uh, the King County sheriffs, the King County uh, Correct, jail, corrections, corrections guild, yeah. and, and, and uh, Spog there, um, again, I've never seen that. That was a historic moment. So to have, you know, that unified front to be aligned like that, I think really sent a strong message because you guys represent what close to 2000 members. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's what man, we should be as Spog should be around 1500, but we've lost 500 because of the defunding and the lack of political support in the hostile work environment that we work in. And then, so we're down to a thousand, just under a thousand. And then King County is just underneath us as well. They've lost some people, you know, fallout from how defunding impacts the entire region and then impacts the entire state. And then obviously the jailers, the corrections guild, they're having a significant staffing issue as well, because like I said, this defunding stuff and the attack on the profession of policing expands to everybody that's involved in public safety. If you're an employee or you're a member of a union. And so we saw it as something that needed to be done to your point. You brought up leadership who's leading. And you know, I, I love this agency. I really do love Seattle police department, but you're not going to be told by the department, the real political truth of what's happening, right? Because they have to maintain because, because they're taxpayer based money. Right? They have to toe the line and just have a neutral position with public affairs. I get that. The unions can, however, talk directly to the communities about what's really going on, talk about the politics, and not have to worry about crossing some kind of line that a government entity like the police department would if they were to engage in that kind of conversation. Yeah, and I'm really um, interested to see, again, it was just announced this past Wednesday, You know, this coalition that you guys have formed with the unions, to really highlight uh, what's happening, the the historically low levels of staffing, dangerously low, and how that's impacting the community, public safety as well. And, and there are so many uh, tidbits uh, that, that I, I think different journalists decided to seize upon and, and write their stories. But the piece that really got my attention and interested me was what you talked about, the defund the police movement, this failed social experiment, along with the aftermath, the impact of the social justice protests uh, slash BLM a couple summers ago. And I know a lot of good has come out of that, but uh, the, the local media, especially here in Seattle, I have yet to really see a proper analysis the post-mortem of ultimately the impact of what the defund movement and the social justice protests, you know, have done really to this city, especially the violent anarchists, the Antifa folks just trashing this city, hijacking 
the BLM movement. Yeah, to the push peaceful their protest agenda. message. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And to this day, we have not really heard from our public officials uh, that often, uh, especially our city council members, seven of them who pledged to defund the Seattle Police Department a couple years ago. And now, as some of their seats are up next year, are having somewhat of an about face. Yeah, and I, I saw that in your reporting. We'll, I mean, we'll, we'll cue your, uh, your video feed and, and you know, your journalism asking those hard questions here in just a bit. I mean, I think you're talking about, you know, the broader aspect of journalism and why there aren't enough journalists willing to ask the hard questions. And you have found yourself at least a platform, an avenue, where you can now be really unchained, if you will, to, to ask those hard-hitting questions because you, you're, you're freelance now, right? I'm technically a senior fellow, so right. what that allows me to do is, again, like you said, I'm not beholden really right. to anybody Absolutely. except the community. I'm still in Seattle reporting on these stories that are underreported off the beaten path that are not being covered by the mainstream press for various reasons. I don't even know if we have time to get well, into Well, and then you've that. been attacked personally. I mean, we <laughs> yeah. got into that part one here, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's just what it shows you is if they can't debate you on uh, the issues or the facts, they're just going to uh, attack your character. And that's essentially what happened to you. Yeah, I mean, we well, got into that, and we don't, you know, we don't want to rehash it unless you want to say something again. But that ties into this presser. So I see all these cameras. It was fantastic. The media w- showed up, and that's, you know, it's good to see that the media are interested because public safety, the issues surrounding our region, are profound, and people are really scared. Absolutely, right? Crime's out of control, and you you see it every day. I mean, and 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 what your great work. We're getting the data from you guys. You you, you know the data don't lie. Basically, the, the data doesn't lie exactly. <laughs> and then we put it out weekly in the public safety index. Finally, at SeattlePoliceOfficers.com. Um, but I see all these media folks there, and and I'm meeting people that I have exchanged emails with. I haven't really met them face to face. Some of these people, and some of them are brand new. Yeah. Three, four months into this area coming from Texas, East Coast, you know, going to the jobs, right? So they don't really have the background of, you know, the, the history of Seattle, the riots from 2020, the history behind the police department, how we're the modeled reformed agency just days before Floyd. I always say that because it's so important. They don't really understand those nuances, right? And so sometimes I would imagine, you correct me if I'm wrong, as, as a journalist, that um, you can miss those facts and not have enough context in a piece that you're putting out to the community. So they're not really all measured in with all the information. Am I correct? Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, uh, our entire industry right now is going through another shakeout. Uh, we're still dealing with the aftermath of the great resignation uh, just in the past year due to various reasons. So many veteran journalists, especially here in Seattle, people you grew up watching practically have either retired, quit, or simply move to other industries, and they're now just a handful of veteran reporters, at least uh, on the TV side, because, again, that's my background. I'm not speaking for the print folks, but it's impacting uh, the print side as well and radio, but especially in TV land, 
you've got a lot of these new kids now coming into the Seattle market before, you know, coming to Seattle was considered quote unquote, a destination market. This is where this was a goal. This is where you wanted to end up. But that's after, you know, cutting your teeth in like two, three different markets. But now you have some kids who've only been out of college, you know, two, two years or something, they're ending up in Seattle, and they're green. And they don't, like you said, have the historical context that's so important. And it's not just the reporters, it's the team, it's these stations, the assignment manager, the news director, the assistant news director, the producers. It's just this revolving door now that you don't have these locals here who really understand uh, the narrative, sort of how we got to this point. And I think providing that type of context now for journalists uh, to our audience is so important, especially uh, during press conferences like yours. How did we get to this point? Yeah, how did we get to to that point? form this unified coalition to come out to get the attention of the community to say and really sound the alarm. I think that's what that's I took exa- away from it. That's a great it. way to put it, sound the alarm, because yeah. that's what it was. I mean, we I, I've been doing it so so long. It's just sounding the alarm, like how bad this is going to be, this defunding post-riots is going to be, and how how it's been, and how you it's rolling it, out. Mike. I called it, So and <laughs> I hate to say you were right, no, but you well, called it. Thanks, I appreciate that. I'm trying to be humble here, but, yeah. um, you know, I'm not always right, but try to be right as much as I can. So I'm looking at the, and the, the, the crowd here at the presser, and, uh, and I, I see a, a fellow who comes forward and introduces himself, and it's Mike Carter from the Seattle Times. And I finally put a face to the name, and Mike Carter is what I would call a, 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 a person who writes for the Seattle Times, who's been there for a long time, who in my history here with this union, it's been going on close to eight years, has absolutely hated police. And um, I did a podcast, episode number eight, you can check it out, where Mike had hit probably his first hit piece against me as being the union head. And I, of course, had to rebut him. And I'll remind the audience that when Mike was asking some questions that were obviously politically leaning, he's very far left. Uh, I would wish we'd have more moderate journalists, whether it's, you know, video TV, or if it's in print. Or at least try to be objective. Try to be objective. That's a great way to put it. And obviously, Mike is not objective. So I refer to his columns as op-eds, which they are. And it's quite interesting that his comment section that you normally find in a Times written piece is open, but on his, there's no comment links. So I find that very curious. And I would wonder what the readership data shows in terms of people that actually consume his, his pieces. Having said that, I have to address this because when I saw him there, I realized, okay, he's going to write a hit piece again. And, um, and so, of course, he did. He published it just hours after our presser, which was September 7th, just the other day. And his title is Seattle Area Law Enforcement Union Chiefs Push for Jim Farrell in Prosecutor Race. And basically, it boils down to this. I fully believe that Mike Carter is pushing for Lisa Mannion to take the position of King County Prosecuting Attorney, period, bar none. Lisa has aligned herself with, I think, our far-left activists to try to get her into office, and I think she's lost her objectivity in terms of trying to create an objective, moderate, the leading law enforcement official in King County. I think she's going to undermine a moderate approach to that and actually politicize that seat more so than it's been politicized ever. And so Mike, who obviously is backing her, says a few things. He contacted her and describes me as 
Manning saying, Manning, who also is Satterberg's chief of staff, has criticized Farrell's decision to seek and accept the support of Solon, a controversial figure as president of SPOG and host of conservative law enforcement podcast, Hold the Line. Well, number one, I don't think my podcast is conservative. Yeah, I, that, that's I represent that's a thousand people, and we have all aspects of political ideology in our membership ranks. So again, Mike trying to paint me as this conservative to try to besmirch me, but then put that stick onto, uh, onto Jim Farrell, which to me is actually unconscionable and low bar and shows you how hyper-partisan Mike Carter is and how biased he is. Look, I, I don't personally know the man. I don't know what his motive is at the end of the day. I don't know where, you know, he stands his heart and soul and ultimately what his intent well, was. Well, I can read it in his pieces. That's for damn sure. And then I keep on going. Solon has dismissed the dire significance of the January 6th insurrection. I have no idea what he's referring to that uh, at the U.S. Capitol. and continues to fight efforts to reveal the names of six SPOG members who participated in the attack on, democ- on democracy. So he's basically quoting Lisa Mannion as saying that. So I would say to the um, chief of staff in the King County Prosecutor's Office who's running for the head position, I would say, Lisa, I hope you respect due process and you should understand contract law as well. So the collective bargaining agreement between the city of Seattle and the Seattle Police Officers Guild, that if the OPA, which is the Office of Police Accountability, which is run by civilians that are appointed by the executive of this city. If the civilian director of OPA says that the individuals at the January 6th rally did nothing wrong, they didn't violate policy, then their names shouldn't be made public. So you advocating for the release of those names shows you that you do not respect contract and you don't respect the officers who were just exercising their First Amendment rights. And for me and for these other law enforcement uh, officers, that's a deep concern for us. So we don't see public safety as being, as having any place in politics. You have to remove politics out of public safety. And I, we fear is if you're in office, you're going to make public safety hyper-politicized more, though, more so than it has ever been in this county. So that's why we're taking the position we are to back Jim Farrell. So I just want to, we have to address Mike Carter's another, another hit piece. I don't think it's gotten much traction, but I'll never let anybody besmirch me or anybody else that I represent without being challenged. So... Thanks for being who you are, Mike Carter. Appreciate it. Did Mike come come back to you? Uh, he actually sent an email, and I will never answer his emails because okay. nothing ever written from him is going to be objective in my mind. Yeah, well, look, uh, you know, regarding Mannion and, and, and Jim Farrell, I think it's going to be, a, it is an extremely tight race. I think uh, the political winds are changing. I think Seattle, even based off of, uh, you know, city attorney Ann Davison's win, uh, you know, last year, uh, I think the city's looking for something different. Uh, at the same time, I think um, Mannion, uh, you know, brings uh, a lot of experience in the pro- from the in the prosecutor's office. But uh, I think she needs to be careful as well in terms of 
how she responds because clearly uh, she's looking for every opportunity to pounce and be on the attack. Well, it shows an ounce of desperation. <laughs> it, it really is. Once you start coming off the facts, then you start attacking people, th- their characters. To me, you're losing. And you're not respectful. You're not professional. It's and almost you, like guilt by association, right? Uh, well, it's exactly what she's trying to, right. to, to paint. And, of course, Car- Carter is going to carry the water for her. So, uh, you know, what, it, it, what, the reason why I bring, bring that up, not to sound like sour grapes, but it needs to be addressed, that we've lost, in my view, objectivity in most journalism. I think if you look at the facts, we'll put that in the description in terms of how the public has lost confidence in media. Now, I think that's more of on a national scale. I would be curious to see, you know, local statistics on the community's confidence in, in media. But I, I wish we could get to an area in our society where we had moderate, um, objective journalism. And I think we would all be more informed versus being told what to think in written pieces such as what Mike Carter put out, which is unconscionable. Well, you, you uh, picked up on a really interesting uh I guess, trend that's happening now in American journalism. Um, even, uh, you know, the outsiders, the academics who, who study this stuff are noticing that uh, a lot of, you know, um, networks now as well uh, and publications, uh, the line has started to blur because, uh, you know, you you know the journalist reporter may be writing an objective piece, but they may be expressing their opinion on social media. Right. And we're in this age now where it's about clicks, it's about views, it's about likes. And that's ultimately uh, what gives uh, a lot of journalists now uh, an audience uh, credibility in some ways uh, and uh, popularity. Uh, So it's this very interesting time right now where uh, the traditional gatekeepers uh, really uh, are starting to lose their influence. Corporate media. Corporate media and power. Um, and what's happening is this massive shakeout. And I can just tell you here in Seattle, all the TV stations, they're not adding new viewers. They're just trying to retain. The average viewer now for local Seattle television news is 55 plus. Okay. Really the older crowds. Old, the older crowds. What's happening with the TikTok generation, Instagram, that's what the teens are now saying. They get most of their news from these social media that's where platforms. They consume it, yeah. yeah, and Twitter has now become the new town square, as you know. And that's why, you know, Tesla CEO Elon Musk made a, a bid for mm-hmm. this social media giant because it's such an influential platform. Um, and of course, uh, you know, former President Donald Trump has been banned off the platform as well because, uh, because of the influence and size of social media now, depending on sure. the platform, like a Twitter and so many journalists, again, are using the platform now. Again, most of my work at Discovery Institute at fixhomelessness.org is on our website, but also most of the engagement, though, happens on social media and Twitter. So the line has started to become blurred, right? A lot of yeah. times as a journalist, you'd be associated with these traditional brands. You know, that's not the case anymore. And so do you feel as if... I mean, we got into this in part one. We kind of briefly touched on it in part two here, but I think it's, you know, I think we're proper to bring it up again. So do you feel some of that energy? We talk about corporate media and its control and then the lack of viewership, if you will, the retention of viewership and then how it's opened the door to social media where they have all these people consuming their news from other sources. Yeah. Do you think that that played part in your, you know, how you left corporate media to now what you're doing. What I, what I would say is very successful 
And you're you. talking about clicks and you're talking about engagement. I mean, you're, I mean, you're, you're crushing it. <laughs> but I say that the, the, the personal cost though, it's yeah. like they, ca- they tried to cancel you. And then again, yeah. just like what Lisa Mania did, did, did to me to try to besmirch me and then paint me and with Jim Farrell here, who is an absolute great human being, very moderate, reasonable guy. That happened to you. Yeah. And, and of course, and, and if you don't play the game, you don't go along with the program, then you're ostracized, you're canceled, and then you're labeled. Just like Mike Carter's labeling me as this hold-the-line conservative podcast. Last time I checked, public safety is not uh, controversial. It yeah. shouldn't be politicized. And I've been labeled uh, as a neo-Nazi, white supremacist, yeah. fascist for simply live-tweeting uh, a, a rally. But uh, anyway, just to be clear, I, I, I just want to say, you know, I have, again, no ill will towards, uh, you know, my former, uh, you know, team at Como No problem. Um, but at the same time, I can tell you, yeah, you're absolutely right. I've told you many times I've wanted to do so many stories when I was at Como that I felt uh, were just really important for the community. And I was stifled. I wasn't allowed to tell these stories. So in many ways, I've been unleashed that's why I'm able to go out and cover all of these stories and hold public officials accountable that I I couldn't do when I was in mainstream media for various reasons. It's fantastic, man. I think Unleashed is a great way to put it. And I would have bet, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's given you this probably a a new uh, lease on professionalism life, right? Where you feel as if you're empowered, you're doing something that actually means something. And and how how many people in their jobs today can feel as if what they're doing really moves the needle for the world or, or their own edification, right? Their own, uh, what, self-worth. Yeah, yeah, we were just having this conversation at, uh, you know, some of the fellas, uh, you know, at Discovery Institute that, you know, I, I told them I've never worked this many hours in my entire 20-year career. Just the video editing, doing these undercover investigations at 1 a.m. in the morning, you know, in the underbelly of Seattle, you know. But I've never felt... Uh, this much joy, uh, this feeling of knowing I'm doing something uh, beyond just, you know, trying to make a buck for a corporation, but I'm doing something uh, for purpose and meaning. And to see tangible results, to see, you know, when I do a story in a particular neighborhood, right, or a community and seeing the end result of that and the neighbors, you know, DMing me and saying, thank you so much for spotlighting what's really happening. And now the city's taking action because you highlighted, you know, this, the homeless crisis or the, the crime happening out of these trap tents where prostitution and drugs are being sold. And, you know, that's the type of stuff, again, that's not considered brand safe. Those are controversial stories. Those sure. are risky stories to tell. Risky and, stories to corporate media. Yeah, and that's why you're not seeing it, even, you know, here in Seattle as much, even though those things are happening in our midst. They're right in front of our eyes. If we don't tell those stories... It's almost like it never happened or it's not happening. You're absolutely right. And I think you get lost in the history of how things happen. Like how many stories do we hear about, you know, the 2020 riots here in Seattle and how we were the model reformed agency. But then Floyd happens and then we have hundreds of officers get assaulted, many of them career ending injuries. But that's like forgotten about. Yeah, right? who, and it's who's, all who's these... covering that. Who's covering that? Exactly. Who's talking about that? Who's following up with all those officers and the impact? Who's who's following up on on the story about the, that sacrifice and what they did to literally hold the line, mm-hmm. you know? That's why I named this podcast Hold the Line, is because of the battle at the East Precinct. Literally for, that line right there. For the heart and soul of this city, 
This Absolutely. city is standing because of the men and women of SPD. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I really appreciate that, Jonathan. Um, you know, and just, I do want to thank the media that showed up to the presser. Um, there were some professional, professional journalists there that I admire, I respect, and they do the best they can in the corporate, you know, media world. And, and Como had, had a decent piece from that, and I'll just read it real quick. We'll have a link in the description. The Seattle and King County Police Officers Guild held a news conference about public safety Wednesday. They were also joined by the King County Corrections Guild and Federal Way, Jim, Federal Way Mayor Jim Farrell. The unions say a crisis is engulfing Seattle and King County, and they plan to lay out a course of action to make the area safer. According to the unions, the King County Sheriff's Office has down more than 100 officers, and detention officers have almost 100 vacancies. They say the staff are having to work 16-hour shifts for emergency staffing. In July, the city of Seattle passed a plan that includes $1 million to help with the Seattle Police Department recruiting initiative. Statistics show violent crime across Seattle is trending higher this year. To date, there have been more than 3,900 reports of violent crimes, according to the city's database. That's 448 more than at this point last year alone. And I'll be brief here in just one more, one more line. The number of homicides this year now sits at 43, and there have been more than 2,400 aggravated assaults along with more than 1,200 robberies and 140 rapes. And then I close it out with a quote. Folks, this isn't good, and it's time our constituents are told the truth about staffing. And they misspelled my name. It's okay, Como. <laughs> the, uh, we can't book people into jail, so where do you take people that victimize the people in our community? And it is true that they shut the jail down a few times, or we couldn't book people for a certain amount of hours. And then if, if you're a savvy suspect who's getting booked into jail... And you know that some of the screening process has been a little bit politicized where the healthcare providers inside the jail ask very open leading questions to suspects that are about to be booked. Have you ingested drugs today? If you're a savvy criminal and you know the process, you're going to say, yes, I have. And then therefore, you're not bookable. You're kicked up to the hospital. And they know we don't have the staffing to sit on them at the hospital so then they're released. This is what we're talking about. And it all comes down to staffing, which is why we had the, the press conferences, why we're showing the public, illustrating to them, informing them how serious this is and the impact that defunding, the political move that it was that everybody's running away from now has had not just locally across our state, but also across the nation. It's incredible. And then... You did a great job with your reporting where I'll play the video in just a minute. So you're at the presser. You asked me some questions and then you made a, what, about a three minute video piece captured some of the audio here. And then you asked some of our elected leaders, some questions. I'm just going to let this play out. You and I will watch it and then we'll, uh, we'll banter back and forth. All right. Sure. We're here to address the local media, as well as the community at large, of the dire situation that our region within King County finds itself in post-2020 riots and defunding. We are losing officers faster than we can hire them. How do you investigate crimes? 
you know, with uh, all the stuff that's been going on over the last two years, no one really wants to do this job anymore. And I'm fearful that if we lose more people, 911 response times will continue to spike. And the victims should be the focal point of this post of funding nonsense that we're living in. Mike, are there any elected officials you want to call out by name right now? Nice try, Jonathan. I wasn't going to bite. No, I don't think that that, look, we need to have a working relationship to improve public safety. I'm just going to pause it right here. So I think you did a good job capturing, you know, I guess the essence of that presser, right? Yeah, look, I, I you know, I know a lot of times a lot of the other reporters will cover the nuts and bolts. And like I said, I think I, I have the freedom now to seize on particular topics. And again, for me, what interest me what piqued my attention immediately was the fact that you guys were saying that the defund movement was partially responsible for creating this culture of lawlessness right and absolutely and, and the fact that the officers just want to do their job but can't even do it anymore so it's leading to this vicious cycle of people saying i'm done i'm not going to deal with this this insanity and uh, you know at the end of the day for me my reporting uh, the the foundation of it is about holding public officials accountable. So I simply did my job as a journalist to now take this information that came out of the press conference and to go back to some of Seattle's elected officials. Many city councilors who have been dodging me, I just happened to learn that they were at a parks uh, meeting that evening right after the press conference. So Timing is everything. Timing is everything. So I rushed over there, and lo and behold, Lisa Herbold, Dan Strauss, Andrew Lewis, they were all there, and they happened to be three out of the seven city council members back in 2020 who pledged to defund SPD, and that's why I simply asked that question. Do you regret now pledging to defund SPD, and if you had to do it all over again, would you do it? And so, I mean, that's you doing your job as a journalist, I think, really well. I don't, I don't see many, probably hardly nobody, would ask them these types of questions well, in Seattle. Well, it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, it is uncomfortable, and I think you know this area where you know we have tough time dealing with uncomfortable conversations. Right. Yeah. And, and it's what you asked me, you know, at, at the beginning of our conversation today, you know, the importance of, again, being available as a public official. And unfortunately for, you know, whatever reason, uh, they they're not always available. And uh, you ask anyone in the media if they have a question, uh, you know, the public information officer or the city council member may not always get back to that person, especially if it's a controversial topic. And that's yeah. and that's why I just for your audience, I want to be very clear. I tried to contact these city council members for weeks on various topics, especially on public safety. So and they know, ghost you more majority they, of the time. Exactly, they ghost me, no response. So yeah. that's why, hey, well, public well, place, public forum, mm -hmm. fair game, fair game. And so you're right. And you ask a great question to me. It was like, hey, can you want to call out anybody of these public officials? So obviously, I, I don't know. I want to say dodged, but I didn't answer your question. The re and the, well, I'll get to it. So as the union head, obviously we came. This this organization came at the anybody that vowed to defund us really hard in 2020. We had to, right? Our jobs were on the line. Public safety chair Lisa Herbold was threatening to lay us off based on the color of our skin, which is completely against the law. It's amazing. 
And so, you know, we came up with videos and ad campaigns to try to influence them because all the activists were trying to influence them to vote to defund us. They were marching on their homes, as you covered. They marched on my home, all this stuff to try to influence people, the mob. And we felt as if they were bending to the mob. And so you have to point them out and hold them accountable. Accountable. Fast forward to the present day. We're without a contract. A year and nine months. The council is in charge of voting to approve if we ever get to a TA with the executive uh, possible contract. And so now the political struggle for us as an organization that came after these council members was hard because of what they were doing was so fundamentally wrong and making a hostile work environment for the employees that work for the city, members of this union, really difficult, right? So now we got to play the political game. We have to repair relationships. So we'll be the professionals, and we have to extend the olive branch. So I can't necessarily go at them as hard as I did two years ago when the political winds are shifting, right? And people are starting to now see how bad defunding was and how it's literally ruining our city, ruining this police department. But now we have to have a solution. And so it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do me a service to try to get a contract to keep hammering these people, right? That's the political game I'm stuck with. I get it. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, we are living in this polarized environment now uh, <laughs> where people have uh, been, you know, demonized for various reasons. People have been canceled just because you don't agree with a certain, you know, worldview or the way you see things, politics and I'm hoping, uh, again, that uh, Seattle's at a point now where, you know, people begin this discourse again that has been so far uh, removed removed or missing, really. Um, and, you know, it, people start coming back to the middle, the, the moderates. Moderates, exactly what we need. And, and at the very least, I feel like, and this is where I come in as a journalist, and this is where I feel like the rest of the local media need to come in. We need to, again, hold our public officials accountable to remind our public officials, or the voters especially, where they stood a couple of years ago and where they stand now. Well, we reminded them, too, where they were a year before 2020, where they were advocating publicly when they were running for office, more police officers. We highlighted that. And so they flip-flop a lot. So you mentioned discourse, and here you are, Trying to create discourse. Trying. <laughs> trying. And you, you've connected with Councilmember Lisa Herbold, public safety chair from District 1, which is West Seattle. Right. You pledged to defund SPD. Do you regret that decision? Jonathan, I am not going to have this conversation right now. Well, why can't you answer that simple question? Do you regret it's, it's, de- pledging to defund SPD? We made a reduction in the police department budget. We did not defund SPD. Right. But you not pledged single, to defund. Not a single dollar cut resulted in a single layoff of a single police officer. You uh, pledged to defund SPD. This is Dan Strauss now, District 6. You know what? I said that I stand with the community. You can look back at the record. And I appreciate your time tonight. Look, you pledged to defund Andrew Lewis, District 7. Well, I think that what we're seeing is nationally, regardless if you have cities with big police departments, small police departments, we're all seeing a national surge in crime. So... You know, I think that we need to be really taking a holistic approach on how we tackle that problem, right? And obviously the police have a role. Like, it's made a big difference on 3rd Avenue having a police presence again in a way that we haven't since before COVID. 
but we know that we need to follow that up with a bunch of other non-police interventions. But it's if, not just going to be police staffing. There's other issues that are at play. But if you had to do it all over again, would you pledge to defund SPD, which you did a few years ago? I mean, what we need to do is strategically look at how we can have comprehensive public safety. And that might involve some level of reallocating resources. But, you know, I've never supported unilaterally taking money from SPD without creating alternatives. Two years ago, we went really hard against the council's plans to defund us. That's where we launched that Stop Defunding dot, uh, campaign. Now it's time, as the political winds shift, to try to repair relationships so we get a vote. And that's hopefully that they understand that coming up into an elected year, public safety is on the focal point um, and they have to politically shift to uh, adhere to people's concerns about public safety situation. As you know, noticed, not many people are talking about defunding anymore. It's a political problem. It was a good piece. I mean, I, I um, man, it's a three minute video. Um, my takeaway is, Number one, you're doing the job of journalism really well right there. You're holding our public officials accountable. You're doing the job. I didn't hear them answer your questions. <laughs> exactly. And that was the common denominator right there. For the record, when I asked them just the other day, as the video shows, they refused to say they regret defunding, pledging rather, to defund SPD. They couldn't answer that, or in some cases they wouldn't. And if you really listened, especially to Dan Strauss, Councilmember Dan Strauss, um, he said, hey, I, I went along with the will of the people, if you listen carefully to that. So yeah. uh, I don't know. We'll, I don't know where these council members stand now. Uh, you heard what they, what they had to say. Uh, but again, uh, I felt as though after this press conference, because you guys, again, uh, partially blamed the defund movement, uh, and the aftermath and the consequences of it to some of the public safety concerns now and the dire, uh, you know, need for, you know, officers. I had to ask that question because their public posture at the time, their pledge uh, has had some unintended consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a good way to, to really capture that conversation. Um, you know, I think, they're going to do what the political winds dictate them to do, to remain in office. Clearly, people are concerned about public safety. And I think you're doing a great job reminding people of how detrimental defunding was to this area, how detrimental it was to this police department, and how we've lost so many people. And it's going to take a decade or more to recover from this. So hopefully, we can repair relationships with the council to get us to a moderate place in our community to really protect everyone's public safety. Like I said in the presser, you have to remove politics out of public safety, period. That's why when I see Lisa Manning inserting politics into this race to try to besmirch her opponent, Jim Farrell, to me that's very deeply troubling. And the only option is Jim's not doing that. He's maintaining a moderate, reasonable approach, and he's actually talking about the facts and those matter in this type of environment, particularly with the highest law enforcement position within King, within King County, which is the King County prosecuting attorney. We can't do politics as usual around here. We can't bend to the small activist groups that push a mob agenda and do their bidding. We have to have lead with conviction. And we feel as if Jim Farrell's 
the right candidate to do that. And, you know, man, again, I want to credit you for what you're doing. Uh, you know, you've had a lot of uh, personal issues impact you in terms of people coming after you. And I, I just... Hey, I, at least we can. Uh, we know what it's like being doxxed. Yeah, we, we know what it's like having our personal information, our home address, and <laughs> yeah. our phone numbers out there. The, well, the we're hate gonna, mail. Yeah, well, we're going to continue to do what we're doing. Um, you know, very proud of the uh, profession of law enforcement. Very proud of this union, and um, you know, we're going to stand up for what's right and give the public the information that they need so they're well informed. And hopefully, by what you're doing, what we're doing with informing the public, we can overcome some of the uh, hurdles that corporate media has in front of them, as well as try to get those that are in media that are extremely biased back to an objective, moderate platform. And perhaps we can come together in a society where it's just hyper-polarized right now. Yeah, Yeah. and, you know, and my, you know, just my final, you know, word is, you know, I have friends within uh, SPD and other law enforcement agencies um, and they know that if I'm doing my job right, if I'm truly at least trying to be objective, I'm not only going to highlight what's happening positively within SPD um, or any law enforcement agency. If there's uh, any, you know, you know, issue or problem or a mistake made uh, by an officer, then I have to hold the officer and the agency accountable as well. Absolutely. And so, we're professionals. I mean, I, yeah. hey, I'm not perfect. I've made my mistakes. I've made mistakes in this seat as well. And we have to be humble enough as professionals to acknowledge that because we're never, we never stop learning. Never stop learning. And that's where we're held accountable. That's why, you know, we have these positions where we work for the community. By all means, we have to accept accountability and um, respect it. What continues to baffle me, though, is, and I'm not afraid to say it, that I, I support law enforcement, but I, for saying that here in this region, I might get canceled. <laughs> I might get canceled out, Mike. How did we get to this point? Well, Where Jonathan, I'm in law enforcement, and I have been canceled. <laughs> so, But here we are, man. We're on a good platform, I think. And I want to thank you, the viewership, for sitting with Jonathan Cho from The Cho Show. Jonathan, good man. Thanks again for having me, Mike. All right, buddy.